Hey, taste buds, Diet Coke is shaking things up with a bold new look and four new delicious flavors. Of course, the OG Diet Coke still has the same great taste, but they have now added feisty cherry, twisted mango, zesty blood orange, and ginger lime to the mix. These flavors are so bold, you will not be able to pick a favorite. I had to tap producer Kyle for a little bit of a guest endorsement this week, which flavor he likes and what's it go with. The, 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 the producer Kyle, nephew Kyle, loves a twisted mango with a nice slice of the pepperoni. If, you, if it's good enough for producer Kyle, it's good enough for you. Whether you're a longtime fan or just want to try something new, give Diet Coke a taste. You'll see what we're talking about. Diet Coke, because you can. My hungry homies, if you love to score amazing deals at incredible hotels, you will love Hotel Tonight. Hotel Tonight partners with hotels to help them sell their unsold rooms, helping you find sweet deals at cool top-rated hotels. Book in advance for spontaneous weekend getaways, staycations, three-day weekends, road trips, business bookings, and more. It is easy. Ten seconds. Three taps and a swipe. Get the Hotel Tonight app and start scoring amazing deals at incredible hotels. Hotel Tonight, the only booking app you need. My culinary comrades, couple things going on right now at The Ringer. On TheRinger.com as we speak, Kevin Clark has an interview with Aaron Rodgers. He married Aaron Rodgers, the NFL commissioner for a day. Lots of very interesting and revealing thoughts. Deep thoughts from Aaron Rodgers. Also on the podcast network, a couple items worth listening. If you're into the PGA championship, and you should be, it's the only big golf, the only big sporting thing going on in the in the sporting world right now. Check out the Shack House with me and Jeff Shackelford, and also Against All Odds with the cousin Sal. Both shows with some tips, some pointers, some insight, some constructive direction on how you might allocate a little capital if that's your thing for this week's PGA Championship. And now let's get into the House of Carbs. All right, my culinary comrades, my taste buds, my hungry homies, we have done it. We are back. You've made it. We're here together at House of Cards, the food podcast for the hungry people by the hungry people, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. I am your hungry host, Joe House. My hungry people, what a show we have for you today. The Ringer.com, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, you should be, published an incredible array of articles and content last week ranking the 100 best TV episodes of the century. There were many food shows and food-related items that jumped out of these episodes. I had to get the editor-in-chief himself, Sean Fennessy, on to talk through the food shows, the selection process, the thinking behind the episodes that made it, and what shows we might put on if... We emphasize food as a key category. Of course, there's food news with Juliet, a couple of hilarious stories, but let's get in that belly with the editor-in-chief, Sean Fennessy. All right, my hungry homies, my taste buds, today's guest, very, very esteemed, the editor-in-chief of the ringer.com had to have Sean Fennessy come on. The Ringer last week unveiled its this this really a, a magnum opus. I mean the, it is the 100 best TV episodes of the century. It's a multimedia experience you can watch, you can read, you can listen. It was a it's a beautiful piece and there are uh, many many side pieces that accompany it that 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 um <laughs> blow out the the entire presentation here um and i i invited sean on because i want to talk about the food angle there are four shows among the top 100 of these best episodes 
uh, in the 21st century. And then there's a whole bunch of other sort of food content. I needed a, 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 an expert on the TV side to come on and, and help us out. Sean Fennessy, what's happened to my brother? House, what's up? I didn't know we were going to be talking about side pieces. That's news to me. <laughs> <laughs> what do you call these accompaniments? What do you call these these lovely side dishes? In the in the magazine parlance, I think they'd be sidebars. Uh, but sidebars, and, and, okay. and they're full Terrific. of bars. Uh, but if you want to go with side pieces, I'm cool with that. Uh, sides side is appropriate. Pieces, side dishes. <laughs> Why not? Uh, yeah, thanks for having so, me on. We did do this list. It was it's uh it was a big success, and so I'm excited to talk about it. Yeah, and and uh, kudos to to you guys. Um, the timing could not have been better. I mean, you really, I know you planned for it to, to arise right at a moment where on the, the sports calendar is quiet and, and folks are looking for, for content. The TV calendar is pretty quiet, except for the greatest show in the history of, well, no, but Succession's pretty gosh darn great. I know. Um, we, we have some regrets but, about not including it on our list now, now that it turned out to be so beautiful. Well, that last episode especially. I know. Uh, could could have easily it, it it's as, at least as good as whatever episode of the hills made it onto this list. <laughs> you got to take that up with uh, your your partner Juliet. Yeah, you know, I I was gentle with her. I didn't I didn't bring it up with her, but in, unless it was a, a a intentional joke to have Kirby enthusiasm on the list <laughs> at at slot number 69, unless that was a deliberate intentional joke um to sort of be in on the Kirby enthusiasm joke, I'm I'm mostly outraged. I mean, there are many, many, many shows, many episodes of shows that are in slots one through 68 that were fine, Mm -hmm. but, you know, didn't really. I mean, Curb Your Enthusiasm was was a game changer. It was a taboo breaker, a taboo violator. House, let me just say, I love Curb. I'm I'm a hardcore, sincere Curb fan, but... When we're making these lists, I was inspired by one of my favorite podcasts of the last five years, which is you and Bill shitting on our fast food list for an hour. <laughs> and so I think we're just well, like, if somebody put waffle fries at number one, what do you want me to do? But so I think it's now we're, live life. we're just trying to make content to annoy you and Bill and see what we can get out of it. Well done. Well done. Kudos. Thanks, man. I mean, Kirby enthusiasm. You didn't even put the best Kirby enthusiasm episode in there. I know that's there, okay. There's some regrets. I would have. I maybe would have gone with Crazy Eyes Killer, but I like the one that we chose. The, me too. I love the one that you chose. It's just not the best Kirby episode, but whatever. It's fine. This is not about my gripes about Kirby <laughs> enthusiasm. There'll be another time and place for that. So I mentioned there are four shows that did make it in here. Four episodes of of great food shows from the the the, the 21st century. Um, that landed in here, and I I want to be I'm not uh, uh, intending to to cross examine you. I, this is not you know, the the goal here is not to subject you to any gripes or grievances or uh, discontent Too around late. any of it. Too I, late, I, House. You already did it. <laughs> well, that was it was just curb. That's the only <laughs> thing I'm pissed about. The food shows on here are all great shows. I was interested. The funniest one to me was the Barefoot Contessa at number fifty one. Um, the episode that was chosen was, you know, making uh, a trifle for her husband for her. She was preparing a birthday uh, lunch for him. Yes. So do, do you know anything about this? I do. I, I can explain it by clarifying that this was an insistence from Amanda Dobbins, the ringers culture editor. And Amanda uses. Well, I love Amanda. She has great taste. She's the best. She uses Barefoot Contessa the way that you and I might use like. Um, I don't know, like an NBA game in the middle of January. You know, it's just kind of like on in the background, just kind of calming us down. We can pick our head up. We can watch, observe, see how Dennis Schroeder is being used on the OKC bench and then get back to whatever it is on our second screen. It's just kind of, it's wallpaper for her, you know, and it calms her down. And this was essentially like a, an unremarkable episode of Barefoot Contessa, but because it was so unremarkable, it makes it so emblematic of what's good about that show to her and to fans of this kind of food TV, which is a little different from maybe some of the other shows we'll talk about. You know, in Barefoot Contessa, every episode, Ina just comes through and is like, I'll, I'll be making lemon bars today. And she makes beautiful lemon bars and she shows them to us and then she feeds them to her husband and then she goes to the next episode. And it's like an amazing racket that she's created out of this. But we just we wanted a show that was representative of the kind of everyday, common, enjoyable 
blanket TV that we all like to have? I I uh, am going to give it two thumbs up, uh, A plus plus. Having this is this you've already validated. Not not that there was ever any doubt about having you on and and having this conversation, um, but but that that simple explanation of uh, that episode of Barefoot Contessa and why it made it on there in that manner, brilliant. I I couldn't endorse it any further. I also happen to subscribe to the point of view you attributed to Amanda, which is it's it's beautiful TV in the background. I mean, you really can you can read and have it on and and poke up. Oh. This is how she's spreading, you know, this is the, the, the width at which she's cutting the loaf before she spreads the jam on. Oh, that's interesting. Yes. Okay, let me keep doing this other thing that I'm doing. Yeah, it's just, it's lovely. It's, it's chill life TV, which is very different, I think, from the other shows, the other food shows particularly that we chose here, right? I mean, two of them. Well, are- I, I, I don't know. I was going to segue into the Great British Bake Off because I think that it's a perfect accompaniment of, of Barefoot Contessa on this, on, this, on this particular vibe, this particular vein. Yeah, well, okay, so... I will start by saying with apologies to my wife, who is one of the great, greatest Great British Bake Off fans I, I have ever met. Um, it, I, this is not a show I've seen a lot. I've seen probably maybe a total of nine or ten episodes in my life. But this show, I think, actually is the middle ground between Barefoot Contessa and Top Chef. It is a competition show, but it is exceedingly chill and polite. And it is pretty to look at, and the people are all very sweet. But there is ultimately, at the end of the day, a winner and we all like shows that have a winner. And so, you know, the idea of there being this sort of tenacious fight to create the most elegant, I, I, I don't know, layer cake or whatever you might find on Great British Bake Off. Um, there's something like a, oddly amusing about that. Also, one of my favorite things about this entry is that um, Ben Glixman, one of the one of the great editors at The Ringer and an unsung hero of The Ringer, uh, happened to write up about the Great British, British Baking Show. And I don't know yeah. if you've ever met Ben, but he is probably the most unlikely person to write so elegantly about this show. So I'm just a big okay. fan of that collision too. Yeah. Well, he, and, and he picked an episode that, that, that does distinguish itself from other episodes. It's not in the same vein as barefoot Contessa, uh, where it's an unremarkable. episode. It, it's, it's a genuinely remarkable episode mm-hmm. with a genuinely re- remarkable, um, person who, who wins, uh, and would just encourage folks to look it up and check it out. Um, you know, the, it's, it's series six, episode 10, the final, and the winner of that, that particular episode is Nadia Hussein. Um, and, and you could just have to read Ben's write up and, and check out the show yourself. Is G, is GBBL one of your, one of your shows? Will you just throw it on Netflix and just consume it for six hours? Um, it's not, Yeah, I, 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 I enjoy it. Uh, it's funny to, to, to think of, uh. Uh, Garten making trifle. It's a trifle. It is to me. It is. Uh, it's a. It is a sweet nothing, but uh, and 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 I enjoy it fine. But it's not. I like um, the real cultural exposition of other shows. I I, I need to be taken. And, and the other thing about it with me, I don't love sweets. Not a huge sweet guy. Yeah, me too. That's that's another thing is I'm just not a dessert expert, and I don't really care that much ultimately. Yeah, that's you. You we're, we're coming from the same place, my brother. As usual, where where should we go next? We got two more main food shows. Well, I, I'm interested. I love that that uh, Top Chef made it, and it and it feels um, essential enough that that it it was going to make it. The episode that was chosen was curious to me <laughs> in 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 a couple different ways. First of all, it was not um, an episode. That that uh, occurred where uh, where the victor was declared, which mm-hmm. I would have guessed. You know, those tend to have kind of the most drama and and you know produce kind of the most uh, unexpected in, in 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 a lot of ways the most unexpected result. Um, instead, it was an episode where there was real misbehavior. Yes. Well, here's the thing. I think that that episode was a rare moment when some of the worst habits of reality TV infiltrated Top Chef, which I think a lot of us think of as a slightly more elevated version of reality TV. You know, we think of it as, like you said, a cultural exposition, an exploration. You get to meet all different kinds of people from different walks of life who are passionate about food, who are passionate about the craft of making food. And there is something high-toned about Top Chef, but it's important to remember that Top Chef one, it came in in that way, that post-survivor wave of shows 
that was essentially just trying to create new iterations of competition. And two, Top Chef is kind of silly because they put all the chefs in the same house, and I don't really understand totally why that has to happen. You know, the show used to focus a lot more on the anxiety and the tension that is created inside that house. And this episode in particular is from, I think, a very memorable season, um, which I think of as the Marcel season, even though Marcel did not win. I think Elon won, and Elon famously um, taunted slash tortured Marcel along with some other chefs in the house and um, attempted to shave his head, and he had quite a crazy wolverine mane of hair. And I thought it was interesting to cite this episode because it felt a little bit closer to the spirit of reality TV. And we weren't thinking of it necessarily as a food show, in part because we knew we were going to have one of those tasty side dishes that you referred to from Danny Chow, who wrote about the best winning meals on Top Chef as a sidebar. So we're we're able to kind of represent both poles of that show. Yeah, and I I, um, agree with the selection of, of, of this particular episode I, I just w- want to make sure that that you know we, I've talked about this um, been lucky enough to have brother Greenwald on a few times and we've extolled the virtues uh, we have a shared passion for the top chef and you know the role of top chef in in sort of um, uh, making food accessible or the democratization of, of high higher class food and you know just an introduction to a palate that the American uh, eating public, hadn't you know observed until this show kind of came along but there is this tension right you you hit on it uh exactly and it, it looked like there was a bit of a identity cri- not crisis but identity struggle in the early years around what is the dynamic that they were going for and very much of of those first two seasons had the, like it's it's real world it's you know 16 chef strangers living in a house together in a city that none of them are from. So like with with that uh you know dynamic in addition to the pressure cooker and I mean that pun intentionally <laughs> environment of of competitive uh cooking you know that that's a pretty good um you know uh, what do they call it in TV where the, the, the treatment you know uh, real world meets, uh, you know, uh, Bobby Flay or whatever the, the, the little thing would be, the five word thing would be. Um, but I think, you know, the identity that the, that the show settled into, um, as they went along, less this, this sort of reality, uh, dramatic dynamic, more just the, the drama coming from the, the pressure of, of preparing beautiful food and the personalities of these folks. I think they settled on the right uh, uh, equation, obviously. Yeah, they did. I mean, I'm also a huge, huge fan of the show. I've seen every episode of every season. Um, And I also much prefer the kind of latter-day identity of the show, this like collection of truly elite chefs. I think there was a time in the first couple of seasons and even in the middle seasons where you felt like you had a lot of wheat and a lot of chaff and you really had to separate them. And it was obvious that there were 10 people who were just not going to make it. And I think in the last few seasons in particular... There have been very few people who I've felt like, well, this person is just not good. Um, and because it's gotten so much more competitive, it is much, it's much more like a sporting event now. And I, I prefer that approach. I, I will say, if I could have chosen another episode, I would have given some serious thought to a very controversial episode that I think was also interestingly representative of the show, which was season 10, the finale, part two, which was the Brooke Williamson, Kristen Kish showdown which was okay. very criticized for this the elimination challenge which they made much more like iron chef style it was almost like a live setting but it actually revealed in a way that that show never does just how hard it is to cook like that vision of Brooke who eventually went on to win a later season and is an awesome chef and um someone whose restaurants I go to in California but she like her sweating over the over the flames while trying to get these dishes onto the plate is like such a resonant experience. And and it was like, it was really good TV. And that's something that gets lost in the show too. I think we want to see like great food and beautiful meals executed well, but that was just really good television. So that would have been my runner up pick. I, I, I love it. Uh, but I, I just was, was happy to have it included. I think it, it absolutely deserves uh, a place in a top 100 like this. Yeah. It's a great show. Um, but last but not least, obviously, uh, Anthony Bourdain, you, no reservations. Now, how far along was 
the development of this project, this idea um, before he passed? It was already in development. Um, right. And he had has a lot a lot of advocates here. I mean, you, you know, you spoke to right. um, a number of people after he passed. I think we've all kind of reflected on it. I think we're we were all really big fans and also really admiring of the way that he innovated a certain kind of TV show. You know, he he's this great cultural ambassador for the world, for the food world, and was fearless in where he went and what he tried and what he did. But he also was a, just a really good maker of TV. You know, he had a very distinct storytelling style that was really well suited to this kind of show and was like utterly unique, but also completely relatable and interesting and dynamic. And, you know, the episode that we chose is obviously um, one of the very best and, and sort of one of the most, I don't know, culturally, politically thoughtful. And, um, you know, it's, it, it was all about his his visit to Beirut and kind of the the heart of the, um, you know, the Hezbollah conflict that is happening there. And um, I guess I think we felt like while, while it may not have been sort of the, the summit of Bourdain as a culinary ambassador, it was as Bourdain as like a storyteller. Yeah, it, it's an iconic episode and I could have easily seen it, you know, um, placed higher. Uh, and, and, and I don't, you know, I'm not looking for shows that it ought to jump ahead of, but in terms of what it conveyed about like, you know, really fundamental human condition stuff and his, his uh, uh, sensibility, the food table, you know, the, 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 the quote, um, from the clip is, is, you know, the, the great leveler the the dinner table is the great leveler. I, I don't, I mean, I don't mean to demean or diminish any of the shows ahead of, uh, this, this this particular episode, although I I mean I'm going to. <laughs> <laughs> I mean I I th- this episode of of No Reservations is absolutely to me as vital as as anything that ever happened on Vanderpump Rules or or or, or Gilmore uh, Girls, but you know um, I, I'm uh, pleased to to have it in a in in a top thirty. And, you know, it, it was a sort of a high watermark for, um, again, that, that the cultural exposition. Nobody did it better. Nobody did it um, in a more articulate way. Nobody um, sort of captured the essence of a place in, in, in 60 minutes or less, you know, uh, better, better than, than he did. And, and it was always without pretension, always without an, an assumption about what he was going to encounter um and always to me a, a revelation and that's what why beirut especially stands out you know he, they didn't uh uh arrive there expecting um war to break out yeah and i think it's a question of what you want from television right some people want vanderpump rules because they want it as escape you know some people want gilmore girls because they want it as a point of emotional connection some people want the sopranos because they want to feel tension and intensity some people want um you know game of thrones because they want to envision themselves as a great dragon queen some people want anthony bourdain because they want empathy and to see another side of the world that they're not exposed to and you know no one is no one was better than him at that it's kind of hard it make when you talk about an episode of tv like this and somebody like bourdain especially in light of his recent death it makes it feel a little silly to be like, well, we rank this 27th. This is the 27th I, best episode. Um, That's right. But, you know, in the context of making a list, like, I, we're just happy that he's here and we're just so happy that his two shows existed. You know, they gave so much to so many people that worked here. All that is, I, I totally agree. The only thing I would do is swap Jersey Shore. I put Jersey Shore at 27, take Anthony Bourdain, slide him up into the 14 hole, <laughs> okay. and then he's in the top 15 with that important... With it was crucially important, vital, important. I mean, Jersey Shore was its own cultural exposition, and I get it. But you know, if we're if we're really sort of uh, you know being honest about it, uh, I, I I have to have Bourdain ahead of of uh, uh, Mike. Do you want me to do my my pop psychology read on how Jersey Shore tells us more about what it's like to be an American in the twenty first century? Because I can make that case if you'd like. Uh, I I. I'm happy for you to make that case, except <laughs> I, I know that I'm going to be so, so discouraged by the end of it. Yeah. Okay. We'll, we'll table I, I know, it. It's going to make me hate myself. This is no problem. I'll set it aside. Don't worry. I can save that for all the staff <laughs> meetings we have here at the ringer. 
Well, I'm going to just have to invite myself to one of those. It's one of my favorite things to do is invite myself. So those are the four sort of cooking, food journey, chef competition shows in, in the top 100. Obviously, there are many, many other shows in this top 100 with food themes where food plays a, a crucial role. I, I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. I've never seen the show Pushing Daisies. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that that it's it's regarded as as a as a gem and as something that you know came and went and and probably deserved a longer run. Uh, and people with great taste that I trust think good things about it. Um, I just know that pie is very important in the show. Can I put you on the spot with pushing daisies? Sure. Um, essentially, the the star of the show owns a bakery called the Pie Hole, um, and Ned is a Ned is great a name. He's a young man with a special gift, as they say on Wiki. Um, he can bring a dead person back to life with a touch. And so there's something it's a pretty good gift, I think, metaphorical about his ability to kind of create baked goods anew along with baked life anew. Um, you know, Pushing Daisies is like a nice show that is elevated by a couple of things. One, it looks beautiful. And the first episode is directed by Barry Sonnenfeld, who is famously one of the he was the the director of photography for a lot of early coen brothers movies and then he went on to become a director himself and he made the adams family and men in black and a number of really popular hollywood movies so he directed the pilot of this show which is the episode that we selected pilot and it's created by a guy named brian fuller who is sort of one of the quirkiest most thoughtful tv creators around he made shows like dead like me and um, Hannibal and Star Trek, a couple of the new Star Trek shows. And, you know, I, I think food is essential to the show insofar as it's this got this beautiful color palette and it is like a sensory experience. The whole show is like looking at a, a beautiful painting come to life. And, and the same goes for the food. You know, the steam coming off of the pie made it um, kind of an essential part of the storytelling. So, you know, Pilot is pretty low on our list, but it still makes it because it's kind of like a a formal triumph. Yeah, and I I know that it it's not a, a food focused entity, but food does feature prominently. And it's funny that you mentioned Hannibal. Uh, Hannibal is is a show that w- where where food is featured prominently. And actually, um, I always have this this uh, experience. This, I don't know if it's double consciousness what the what the proper way is to characterize this experience, but the food. <laughs> on Hannibal is beautiful. It is. And appetizing. And then you have to remind yourself what it is. Yeah. I've Brian Fuller is pretty twisted. And I think his goal to make, you know, the human pancreas look appetizing is uh is an interesting choice. Hannibal was a topic of conversation. It didn't make this list, but it, it's probably in that like 105 range. We, there are a lot of admirers here. He makes a very um artisanal style of television show you know he's kind of like the okay, i the, like this the brooklyn hipster butcher restaurant of of uh, of tv making and so yeah all of his shows have this kind of like i said the kind of like sensory experience where everything you're seeing and hearing and looking at is like very just so well i i like very much that characterization the brooklyn hipster uh, uh, approach because that's that 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 ties in is a perfect segue into what I want to talk about next, which is Master of None. Yeah, um, disease. I'm sorry, show that. Uh, and and uh, I'm sorry. What's the actress's name? I didn't mean to just call it the the Aziz show. Uh, well, Lena Waithe uh, is kind of the sec- Lena, the secondary yes. character on the on the show. Yeah, her. right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Shout out to Lena as well. Um, but you know they they. The, the entirety of of um the 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 series uh has always done this wink and nod thing with um you know deep dive foodie stuff uh and the show the episode that was chosen among the top 100 what was not necessarily one of those although it was th- the Thanksgiving episode um because of all of the powerful um, emotions that that the Thanksgiving holiday tends to to carry along with it as 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 baggage um, to go along with the cranberries um, and and the vehicle of you know kind of revealing um, it. Lena's character is the one um, that goes that, that's the subject of it, right? Yeah. So essentially, it it shows that. Aziz's character doesn't really have a tradition in his house of Thanksgiving, and so he spends a lot of his Thanksgivings 
at his friend's house. His friend is played by Lena Waithe as an adult, and then they show them as kids as well. Lena's mother is played by the great Angela Bassett, and she prepares the meal every year along with her grandmother and I believe her sister. And, you know, I I personally have a fascination with the intricacies and the peccadilloes of everyone's Thanksgiving. You know, everyone has like a different side dish that they think is the most important side dish of all time that like doesn't matter to the person sitting right next to them. And right. this show is very good about that kind of like narcissism of small differences there. You know, it shows that these small choices that we make actually represent big things. And I would say it's actually not as food focused an episode as other episodes of Master of None, like you said. Right. You know, like right. I think we very well could have picked the episode that takes place at Osteria Francescana, you know, the Massimo Bottura restaurant um, yes. in Italy. That's a that's kind of a fun one. I actually ate at Osteria Francescana like six months after that episode aired, coincidentally. And you did, you I, know, that's like uh, the uh, the top rated restaurant in the world at the moment. I did, I did. It was that was my my vacation last summer. Actually, was to spend some time in Italy, and we got a chance to eat there. You. You son of a gun. It was dope. Um, it was... So let's go down that rabbit okay. hole for a minute. <laughs> okay. what, what did you eat? And and tell me everything. Oh, man. I can't remember the menu specifically. I mean, he has the that, yeah, that, the famous dessert, the sort of uh, I dropped the the lemon tart, you know, dessert that looks like it's shattered all over the ground. If you've seen that great episode right. of uh, Is It Mind of a Chef? Is that the show? No, excuse yes. me. It was Chef's Table. Um, he's featured in a famous- Oh, Chef's set. Table. That's yeah, right. That's right. Yeah. Massimo's featured- Which I have on my on a list here. Yes. Uh, he's featured in a great episode of Chef's Table, and you can see a lot of the food that they prepare there. I mean, we had a five and a half hour lunch. It was obscene. Um, it's, it was a wonderful restaurant. And we were planning to go there before the episode of Master of None. And then when that came out, as soon as I started telling people that we were going there, they were like, oh, cool. You saw Master of None, you loser. Um, which, you know- <laughs> It happens, uh, but it was an amazing experience. I mean, you've had the the crazy tasting menu yeah. before, like yeah, I know it's it, it's a it's really just an ecstatic experience. You know what I mean? You you your senses are heightened, right? Every every one of the five senses senses in in addition to um, all of the experiences that your mouth and your tongue and your sense of smell those are, are obviously being put hard to work. But the sort of ecstasy of what comes next? What do your eyes see? Um, you know, what do you hear as they describe the food? And then what do you hear in, in terms of like, you know, the crackle of, of, of whatever the items may be. And just, you know, that, that overall, uh, experience of devoting yourself entirely to, to the, the food of it and the, the, to the, um, consuming and, and the sublime sort of place that you find yourself, uh, time stops, you, you you come out of there, you know, the day may have changed from morning into afternoon or afternoon into evening or evening into late night. And, you know, I that that that's uh it only happens, you know, a couple times a year at at best if 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 one is lucky to embark on one of those kinds of deals. But I understand the the, the challenge always for me is afterward, what did I just eat? You know, how am I gonna explain this to somebody? Because the, the part of the experience is losing yourself in it. Now you're right. Time stops is an amazing way to put it. My wife and I try to do it once or twice a year at a place that we think is exciting and that we will have, we'll travel to a place to try a place like this. But the what you said is exactly right, which is the struggle to remember the thing is actually, uh, that actually indicates how much you, you cared about it, how invested you became in it. You know, th there are restaurants that are far less high profile than Osteria Francescana and around the world that I've been to. And I have a much more clear sense of the menu and the food experiences that I had there because I was just more emotionally connected to those meals. Now, that's not to say anything bad about Osteria Francescana, which is unfucking believable Like, it is amazing right. and it is absolutely right. worth it. And if you find yourself in that part of Italy, you should go. But, um, you know, it's an interesting thing. And, like, this is – just to take it back to the TV shows, like, this is also something that shows are trying to give you. They're trying to give you that that memory, that experience. Um, and there's one on here actually that you didn't list, but I, I was very resonant to me. And it is essentially the exact opposite of Osteria Francescana, but I'm going to give it a quick shout out, which is there's an episode of Freaks and Geeks on this list, which is one of my favorite shows. And okay. the episode essentially, so it's called Dead Dogs and Gym Teachers. And the episode ends with a latchkey kid named Bill, played by Martin Starr, going back to his home on like a Wednesday afternoon. His mom is at work working her second job. And he comes home and he makes himself a cheese sandwich and he parks in front of the TV and he starts watching Gary Shandling on television. 
and Gary Shandling's doing stand-up, and Bill is in all his glory. He's like a 14-year-old loser, and all he wants is a cheese sandwich and TV and a glass of milk, and he's absolutely delighted. And, like, that's another version of food TV where you see that feeling of, like, here's a simple thing that just makes me really happy. So I I wanted to give that a quick shout-out. I'm glad you did. I read that bit, observed the um, vignette. It, it, it's very touching because of how resonant it is and that particular reverie of, of being alone with the things that you enjoy the most and you're, you're in your most natural state. Uh, and, and, and how, you know, it's a cheese sandwich and a glass of milk. I mean, and, and for each of us, like for me, it would be after cross country practice and I'm home uh, and I had two brothers and a sister, but I quickly run pre-dinner and make ramen, like, you know, uh, 60 second ramen and, and, and pour in two packs of the seasoning and take that and go out to the back porch and wolf it down, but still sort of getting the late evening, I mean, the early evening pre-dinner uh, atmospherics alone. But that that was like my little, you know, quiet um, um, breakaway kind of post-school vibe. And and uh, I got a real kick out of the fact that that's Guilfoyle. Yeah, from Silicon Valley. I didn't realize that. Yeah, yeah. It's. I mean, we all have those things. We all have those. I had it the other day. I was having pretzels and orange juice. I don't know if you've ever had that combination. But that's a weird snack that I would have all the time growing up. And it was just, it was that yeah. same sensory experience where I was like, damn, these are two flavors that don't make sense, but I love them so much. And they just remind me of being 11 years old. So, you know. They do make sense. They make sense. I I like, I'm telling you right now, I fell asleep two nights ago with a bag of sourdough niblets on my lap and I was drinking um, green honey iced tea because the the combination of the sugar and the, and the, and the salt and the savory and the crunch and the soothing effect. So the same thing is true of the orange juice. It makes perfect sense. They go, they definitely go together. Give it a try and tell me what you think. Well done. I love it. You, you put me onto it. Well, uh, if we were doing, I'm going to, I'm going to let you go. I just have one sort of parting thought and we'll explore this together. I'm not looking for any answers necessarily. Okay. Um, I'm just going to nominate a few candidates. If, if food was, was an important criteria, uh, for, for the past 18 years of, of television, there are a handful of shows where the food is, is featured in a way that I think, you know, it's a couple of them are just plain old food shows, um, but you know, also part of the part of the theme, um, and I'm just going to bounce these off of you, and 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 then see if I left any uh, off of my list. So if you have any shows that you would put it on your own list, if we were ranking food as a as a crucial criteria for the past 18 years of television, couple up epi- couple shows that that where and we we could choose the episodes. There there are high water. Uh, episodes of of each of these shows so so the show on hbo treme which um i had a hard time with um because uh it, there was a lot of different disparate stories going on at the same time i couldn't get my head around all of them at the same time but the food portion of this this is set in new orleans um was incredible and it's no surprise I've, i came to understand uh, as part of of anthony bourdain's um you know, obituary that he participated as a writer and he and David Simon were, were, were close friends. Um, and that uh, Bourdain's sensibility on the food component of Treme, what was, um, you know, made its way in, in there. Um, what do you think about, about Treme? I think I have the same relationship to it that you did. I was a massive fan of the wire and I read both of the books that preceded that by David Simon. And I was obsessed with David Simon, uh, for a time and Treme was a little bit of a letdown for me. Um, I think for all the reasons that um, people have talked about for the last few, you know, 10 years, which is that it was slightly more roundabout and it was a, an attempt to make a, a show about a city instead of about people. Um, and right. that was a difficult thing to do. But I completely agree that the food is incredible. I mean, I've been to New Orleans five or six times. It's one of my favorite places in the world and eating there is, is a delight. Um so yeah, I, I think that it does a very good job of being a TV, sh- uh, food TV show. The other show, and this is uh, something that I was introduced to, um, it's fairly recent vintage. Andy Greenwald turned me on to it. The Samurai Gourmet. 
I would put in the pilot show. It's such a weird um, concept. Uh, are you familiar with the Samurai Gourmet? I know it. I know it because of Greenwald, but I've never seen it. It is it is literally in my queue. Yeah. So so uh, we'll, we 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 will both you know just give it sort of a, a head nod. Refer folks to it. Look it up, uh, and and you'll see it. It is. Uh, it's just a perfectly quiet television show with a very kind of sublime um, uh, f- hero at the center of it who um, li- has the experience of, of drinking beer in the middle of the day, and um, it, it, it literally changed his life. So uh, we recommend that. Is there one that jumps out at you over the past 18 years um, where, where food is a, a prominent component. Let me give you a few. I'll give you a couple of really quick ones. One, shout out to uh, our friend uh, Dave Chang. I, I thought Ugly Delicious was actually wonderful. And um, yeah, it, me it, too. I thought it took a really smart approach to these kinds of shows and was a perfect version of a streaming food show. Um, and I think the way that it was sort of segmentized and categorized but also had this rolling narrative that if you watched every episode, it kind of made sense with this broader cast of characters in his life was very smart. And obviously the food looks amazing in that, in that show. Yeah. That's I a mean, little... I, I would even go so far. Uh, I would not, my episode for, for ugly delicious would be the pizza episode. I just thought that was such a revelation. Me too. I love that one. That's a, that's a great episode of TV. Um, the, I'll name a few others, which are not classy high tone shows, but one they're on in my house a lot. And two, they represent, I think, food television to a lot of people. And those three shows are Chopped, Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives, and Next Food Network Star. And those shows sure. are, are not really about the sort of elegant elegance of cuisine. They're just about um, using food as a format to create a different kind of show. So Chopped is a sit-down, one-episode, Jeopardy-style competition show. Food Network Star is a little bit of a like a meta narrative about how to create famous people on TV, which I always found fascinating. That show isn't always good, but the idea of it existing, I always thought was so cool. And <laughs> that's Diners, so funny. That's right. I don't think it's good, but I understand what you're the point you're yeah, making. Yeah, I mean, the, and also the people that are on it like can't even really cook well. So, that, but that's not a criteria for being a good network TV food host. I don't know. This is an interesting show. And then Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives is like the all-time meme generator. Like to just watch that is to watch people laughing on the internet in real time, even though, you know, it's Guy visiting, a you know, a very good diner in the middle of Missouri that you've never seen before. It, it's just like because of the persona that Guy Fieri has at this point in our mind, you can watch it and sort of like create real-time internet. So I felt I'm like- I'm glad it, you mentioned it. it. It's a pre-internet show. Yes, you know, and 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 so uh, it really does the the staying power of it, and it and its its formula it, it it works. I find myself absolutely content checking in, watching fourteen minutes. I don't need to see see it from the beginning to the end. Visiting a couple towns that 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 guy happens to be visiting, getting to know you know the proprietors. I love it. It's a it's a speaking of a, a very American kind of experience. That that that's very on the nose American experience. That show. Yeah, I, I again, I'm not sure if I love it, but I love to engage with it for five minutes. You know, <laughs> like yeah, 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 yeah. I love those those minutes that I engage. I'm with you. What else? Anything else? Is there are there any other shows that fit the bill for you? I, I, I mean, I think that's it. I, I had a bunch of shows. I, I enjoyed the John Favreau Dinner for Five thing, but I don't think that we need to, uh, um, you know, c- c- conquer that. It, it was a smart idea. I, th- I think there's still legs for something like that. Um, and there were some fire, very funny conversations among that. But um, let's just do this again next year. When it's uh, the we're, we're 19 years into the new century and it's the updated version of the best 100 and I'll lobby for some some more food entrance. I'll be there. Thanks, Joe. Thank you, Sean Fantasy. My thanks to the editor in chief, Sean Fantasy. Always insightful. He is always welcome on the House of Carbs, of course. Before we get to food news, let's talk about Diet Coke. They are shaking things up. A bold new look, four new delicious flavors. You can always enjoy the OG. Diet Coke still has the same great taste, but they've added a few 
wrinkles for you, feisty cherry, twisted mango, zesty blood orange, and ginger lime. These are bold flavors. You're not going to be able to pick a favorite. I tapped producer Kyle for some insight, little personal endorsement. He's choosing the zesty blood orange and what he and the, and the classic, the pepperoni pizza. That sounds like a match made in heaven. I might have to do that for lunch today. I'm starting to get hungry. Whether you are a longtime fan of Diet Coke or you just want to try something new, give Diet Coke a taste and you'll see what we're talking about. Diet Coke, because I can. Hungry Homies, today's show also brought to us by our good pals at Zip Recruiter. Hiring used to be hard. Multiple job sites, stacks of resumes, confusing review process. But today, hiring can be easy, and you only have to go one place to get it done. That is ZipRecruiter.com slash carbs. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards. They don't stop there with their powerful matching technology zip recruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invite them to apply to your job zip recruiter is so effective that 80 percent of employers who post on zip recruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day how timely is that was with results like that it is no wonder that zip recruiter is the highest rated hiring site in the United States of America. Right now, House of Carbs listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free. Listen to this exclusive web address. I mentioned it at the top, ziprecruiter.com slash carbs. That's ziprecruiter.com slash C-A-R-B-S. ZipRecruiter.com slash carbs. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. All right, my taste buds, it is now time for Food News. Yo, Juliet. Hello. How are you? I'm great, thanks. How are you? You're lying. I know you're lying because we talked beforehand. You're very under the gun. You're working too hard. It's August. It is time now to be focusing on the delicious things in life, Juliet. I know you have a little bit of a break coming up. Where are you going? I am going to Boston, and then I'm going to Cape Cod, my annual trip to Wellfleet, Massachusetts. I can't wait. I love Wellfleet, Massachusetts. Yeah. So what's on the uh, docket in terms of food and drink? Are there some tried and trues? Sure. Yeah. Number one is the box lunch, the sandwich place. Have you ever been? No. Oh, my God. It's great. My family calls, it, it. Calls, calls it Owens because the person who started it is named Owen. He started going to Cape Cod the same year as my parents. But it's called the Box Lunch. He st- They all started going in 1976. At least that's when it opened. Maybe Owen was going beforehand. I get the Porky's Nightmare, Hold the Onions. It's basically like the world's goopiest and most delicious ham and cheese sandwich. And the Box Lunch, oh. their thing is they make roll, which is they're like wrap. They're not really wraps. They're like... A flat pita that they roll up and then they microwave. I don't. It's like so low end and so delicious. I but like calling it low end is like sounds like an insult, but it's really not. It's a compliment. It's so good. Um, so try to go there. Is as it much a Wellfleet institution? It's a Cape Cod institution. It started in Wellfleet. Cape Cod institution. But now they have them Got like it. all over. And I think they there's even like they've trickled a little bit to uh, other places in New England. But like it's 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 a Wellfleet thing. It started there. Um. So I'm definitely hitting that. And then there's a really good, you know, Wellfleet oysters and like fried clams yeah. is like the thing. There's yeah. a really good yeah. seafood place right in the har- Wellfleet Harbor called Max Seafood, which I will definitely be going to. It's really, you basically good. like eat in a sandbox with tables. It's so, But it feels normal because it's like right on the That's harbor. summer. Yeah. Right. Of course. <laughs> exactly. It's August. You're on the Cape. What else are you supposed to do? Exactly. So um, we'll be going there. And then there's always a couple of like, wrinkles like every summer there's some new places a couple of years ago this bakery started opened called like boulangerie and it has like insanely long lines and my parents have like just a a, a rational vendetta against it because they're so resentful of the lines because my parents have gone (laughs) every summer since 1976 i don't think they've ever skipped one um and so when there's new stuff they're always like really judgmental and just like what is this place and the, the lines there is just an absolute deal breaker we also like to venture into truro which is the town next to it, which has very good ice cream. Oh, yeah, I know Truro. Yes. Truro. The end yeah. of every day on the Cape 
should end with ice cream. And if it doesn't, you're fucking up. The best place to get soft serve in, in Wellfleet is PJ's. I'm sure everyone knows it if you've been to Wellfleet. And so those are those are the mainstays. I'm so excited. Talking about this has really got gotten me fired up. Good. Yeah, I'm glad. I mean, because you, you, you deserve a break today. I mean, let's just break Thanks, it man. down. Thanks, man. It's I'm time. really excited. I also just like love a ham sandwich. The, the Porky's Nightmare, in case you're wondering, is ham, three melted cheeses, mayos, tomatoes, onions, and jerkies. Have you ever heard of jerky sauce? I don't think I have. What is it? It's like the sauce that they that they just use the buck lunch. I think you used to be able to buy it. It's really hard to find, but it's really good. It's like a mustard mayo vinaigrette sauce, and that's it. it comes. Oh, like, okay, sure, sure. It's like dripping out of out of the uh, the sandwich. It's so good. That makes sense. So so good. The next time you're downtown in New York City, have you been to the Arcade Bakery? No. One of the single best. Ham. It's in the French style. It's ham, cheese, and butter Ooh. on a on a perfectly fresh, right out of the bakery oven uh, uh, baguette. My dad used to make me a ham and cheese sandwich for lunch, like literally every day for like the time I was five till I was like fourteen. So I love ham and cheese. Yeah. Well, this this one this one is is a really good rendition. All right. Top end. Top five ham and cheeses. I'm into on, it on planet Earth. I'll check it yeah. out. Sounds great. Yeah. But right. enjoy the cape. Thanks, man. First. I can't wait. Hopefully there won't be any sharks in the ocean. It's fingers I'll, crossed. I'll ask you, I'll, the over-under on number of Juliet's consumed? You know, when or I'm are you going to drink wine? When I'm with my parents, I tend to go more wine. And, uh, partic- right. Yeah, I was, we've established this. Yeah. And particularly with them and this scene, it probably will be a wine cooler. So, fit, you know, one to, in a giant wine glass, one-to-one one, rosé and sparkling water. So... Yeah, sure. Great. <laughs> I was in Malibu of, of on August. Saturday, and that's what I was rocking with. I probably had a bottle of wine by myself while drinking my wine cooler, so it was pretty great. <laughs> yeah, it's it's bougie Juliet time. Exactly. Malibu and the Cape. Yes. Rosé and sparkling water. Take, Bam. Take me to my happy place. It's on the beach with the, with the <laughs> wine cooler in hand. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. All right, man. Are you ready for the news? Yeah, let's talk about some stories. Good, really good ones. Thanks to nephew Kyle for uh, finding all of these. I was quite pleased. This is a good one, and it brings up some important questions. And the headline is a doozy: Woman sues Canada Dry over lack of ginger and ginger ale. This comes to us from Fortune.com. A woman in New York is suing Dr Pepper Snapple Group for the lack of ginger in their carbonated drink Canada Dry, which advertises that it's made from real ginger on the front of the can. The actual ingredients in the drink, believed to be a healthier alternative soda, are carbonated water, high fructose corn syrup, citric acid, sodium benzoate, natural flavors, and caramel colors. The complaint says that it was filed on behalf of Julie Fletcher, and it states a flavor compound comprised predominantly of flavor extracts not derived from ginger and a minuscule amount of ginger flavor extract. That's why she's mad. And Ms. Fletcher believed this meant that the Canada Dry was made using ginger root and was, as a result, a healthier alternative to regular sodas. Ms. Fletcher knew that the ginger root can calm and upset stomach, and she purchased Canada Dry when her children were sick, believing that ginger root in the beverage would soothe their stomach aches. Obviously, it didn't, and now she's pissed. And I think this brings up a really great point about the cultural imagination regarding ginger ale, because it is definitely still revered as like, oh, it'll help your stomach have some ginger ale. But you might as well just have Diet Coke at that point. I I don't know. I mean, on the one hand, this feel the story would make sense to me if it was 1977 mm-hmm. and the Internet didn't exist. And, you know, the effects of the various ingredients in this drink, you know, haven't been hadn't been mapped out the way that they are now. I mean, it's pretty well established that high fructose corn syrup, not great for you. Uh, And, and, you know, this idea, it it says this in a story without any kind of attribution, believed to be a healthier alternative to soda. Well, who who believes that? (laughs) Who thinks that Canada dry ginger ale isn't soda? Wait, where where's the confusion entering in? It's 2018. Uh, everything about ginger ale and Canada Dry ginger ale—it's all that information is available, and you can make as an informed consumer an informed choice. You don't have to just look at the can and say, "Well, it says it's ginger ale, so that must mean that it has ginger root, and that's a an important element of it, and it's going to pr- 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 have this uh, uh, you know r- potential remedial effect." On, on my kids. Now, I'm with you. 
you're right. There, there is, it is still widely held that, that, that ginger ale does soothe the stomach and the Canada dry ginger ale is, is the ginger ale of choice in my household for upset tummies. Uh, and that could have everything to do with the carbonation and the sugar and whatever kind of um, soothing effects that that flavor profile has. But nobody believes that it's it's actually making somebody better. It's not a, a remedy. Well, why like just have club soda then? Like, why do people have it? Because <laughs> it tastes good. I guess. Because, sure. I just think. I mean, it's I don't not. Think she should win this lawsuit. Crazy sweet. Like, yeah, she should have googled it. I agree, but. I do think it is weird that like Canada dry ginger ale is like thought of as some kind of curative. Like it's just it's just sugar water, like everything else. But do they say that it's a curative? No, that's they're just capitalizing on the myth. It's not their fault. I agree, she shouldn't win this lawsuit, without a doubt. I mean, there's no lawsuit. I don't understand it. Well, where's the confusion? <laughs> she just was mis. She feels misled. I'm ki- I-, I kind of get it. It's like an urban myth, but you can't sue over an urban myth. Like Google that yourself. The- but there, there are ginger ales out there that have a lot more of the ingredient, you know, have actual ginger root and they're like natural sodas and stuff. They don't have some of these ingredients that, that somebody might find objectionable, like high fructose corn syrup. They have cane sugar or whatever. And if you're really looking for an alternative to soda, you can go, you can go try and, and get an approximation. But Canada Dry Ginger Ale hasn't been, you know, uh, holding itself out as anything other than what it is. Right. They didn't necessarily mis- mis- mislead, except I guess it does say on the labels. But it's like kind of, it's a it's a uh, holdover, I think, from, again, this myth, basically. <laughs> uh, anyway, this is another good additional detail, by the way. From This is from the Washington Post. The Buffalo News says that one factor in her confusion about the product was a 2011 commercial where a hunky ginger farmer pulled a root out of the ground and was pulled up through a woman's cooler of Canada Dry, which, to clear up any confusion for future litigation, is physically impossible. The Internet's having some fun with this one. It's really good. I mean, it, it deserves the, the to be made fun of. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. All right, House. I got another for you. Hit me. This one is about Nutella. And I'm jealous of the people for whom it's benefiting. This is from USA Today. And the headline is Dream Job. Italy's Nutella maker seeks 60 taste testers. No experience necessary. The Ferrero Company, which makes Nutella and Ferrero Rocher chocolates and other sweet treats, is looking for 60, quote, sensory judges, close quote, who will be paid for tasting its products. Nutella has such worldwide demand that many riots broke out in France in January when discounted containers of the rich spread went on sale. It's so popular, the U.S. discount warehouse club chain Costco started offering its own version this year. You know you're a big deal when there's a Kirkland knockoff. I absolutely love it. This is the first. What do they call it? They can't call it Nutella, right? No, definitely not. It's probably called like hazelnut spread. Yeah, it's called hazelnut spread. Oh, great. Exactly. Yeah, good point. Um, The job ad was published by Open Job Metis for Sormatark Italia, which is Ferrero's research and development company. You have to be ready. They should have used ZipRecruiter. Oh, my God. They totally should have. You're so right. Uh, you have to be ready, able, and willing to relocate to Ferrero's headquarters in Alba in Italy's northwest Piedmont region. That's the area famed for its white truffles, not to mention Barolos, Barbara Seccos, and other fine wines. So if you're willing to move there, which if I didn't have a job, I would strongly consider, you could be a Nutella taster. <laughs> How long do you have to live there? It doesn't say. Probably like, I see. I mean, if you're going to get, if, if it's a job, I mean, you know, indefinite, take it seriously. Oh, so this is like a job that you get paid for? Um, Again, that's unclear. But, uh, you know, check out the website. Maybe you can get the job and find out. I mean, I'm kind of intrigued. Let me tell you, there are five jobs in my life. It's actually uh, Correction House. It's volunteers. It's 60. And they'll be be tested in a three-month training course scheduled to start in September. The training is designed to sharpen the recruit's sense of taste and smell, as well as teach them the correct terminology to describe their reactions. So it's not an an all-expense-paid situation, nor will you be getting paid once you arrive. (laughs) Still sounds pretty enjoyable. And I will tell you, sensory judge, that's that's in my top five of, (laughs) of jobs that I hope to, at some point in my life, you know, cross off. It's I would like I'd be more than happy to devote three months of my life to becoming a sensory judge. I'm not sure Nutella. I love Nutella. It's delicious. You know, in in the circumstances in which I 
um, run across it, which is, you know, a lovely, lazy summer weekend morning. That's the perfect time for Nutella. But uh, it, it's not really big in my life. I'm not sure. I need to be a sensory judge for something that's much more prominent in my life, like like fried chicken. Right. I understand. You need something that's like will have a bigger impact on your your lasting happiness. For that's me, it. That's for me, it. it would be preserves. Maybe bagels. Mm. Although bagels, you can't really. I mean, I love bagels, but yeah, not too- great. Not great for the midsection. Yeah, and also, you, like, can you tear through a lot of bagels? I don't think so. Well, you know, you're you're it's, it's a century judge. It's not expected that you would eat the entirety of every bagel. <laughs> That's fine. Just a couple bites. It's like what Bethany Frankel says: taste, yeah. don't eat. <laughs> well, I, th- that I don't subscribe to that. That that's crazy talk. <laughs> I agree. All right, House. One more for you. This is exciting. Pop culture crossover. Also from USA Today. Thanks to USA Today for for essentially sponsoring today's podcast. Um, Jason Alexander, you might know him as George Costanza. KFC has tapped him to become the new Colonel Sanders. The fried chicken chain announced in a press release that its newest Colonel Sanders is Jason Alexander, the actor and comedian best known for his work on the television show Seinfeld. According to the release, Alexander will help promote the chain's $20 fill-ups or buckets targeting large groups. He said, as the son of two working parents, there were plenty of dinner times when a bucket of chicken and all the fixings saved the day. It's been fun to combine my personal love for KFC with my sitcom experience into a new take on the role of Colonel Sanders. So Jason Alexander is quite literally still dining out, having been George Costanza, based on that quote. And you want to know what? If I were George Costanza, I probably would, too. I'm fine with that. Is he going to do the George Costanza version of Colonel Sanders? (laughs) Very, very unclear. Oh, I would love it if he did. How can we make that request? Who well, do we submit that request to? Uh, Probably just tweet at KFC. They seem like the kind of brand that would respond to that. There is a commercial. You can find it on YouTube. It's it's called What's What's for Dinner, and it's the sitcom kernel, so it's like inspired by the sitcom tradition, I believe. Okay. Well, I think it's a great fit. I, I uh, Of all the jobs for George Costanza, the kernel is, is right there. And by extension, I guess that makes sense for Jason Alexander as sure. well. Sure. Yeah. Why not? But it's really a Costanza job. Um, I agree. It would be a lot funnier if he was just like being George and like getting like mad about chicken or something. Or mad, about, what, I mean, mad imagine about the other brands, maybe? They, well, couldn't we have a limited run of Seinfeld episodes, like a little six episode short run where Costanza is the colonel? I mean, imagine it's, it's just ludicrous enough. I think if you're gonna do that, it's got to be Kramer. <laughs> no, Kramer. He, there was a whole fried chicken plot with with Kramer. He and he all he really does look like the Colonel. It's a great point. But yeah, yeah I mean, I'm just talking about a series of episodes that could be about all the guys in, in whatever walk of life they're in. Uh, Elaine is a star of a of a sitcom where she's vice president. Uh, George is the Colonel. Jerry does a show that that's become come under a little bit of heat, a little bit of uh, fire for being tone deaf. Um, the coffee in, in cars, comedians and coffees and <laughs> cars, or whatever that's called. Did I I know I botched it. It's okay. It's comedian and cars getting coffee. I think. There, we, I I got the important words out. Yeah, you 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 were close. Well, it didn't House. make the hundred hundred best episodes list, by the way. No, it did not. Yeah. Well, it was before two thousand. No, it's now. Oh, the show. Oh, Comedi- I thought comedians you meant, and coffee. Sorry. I thought you meant Seinfeld. It's well, okay. It doesn't even. It's just whatever. We can you can debate that with Sean Fennessy further. <laughs> well, it's a great story, and I can't wait to see uh, George do his thing. Uh, exactly. Check it out on YouTube. Congrats to Jason Alexander. He really needed a win. Um, <laughs> thanks for having me, Big House. <laughs> Speaking of wins, I can't wait. So you're gonna not going to be on next week, but uh, you'll be back with lots of tales of uh, wine coolers and Wellfleet oysters. Yeah, well, more likely fried clams or some scallops. I'm not a huge oh, oyster for, person, oh, but I don't know. God. I had such good oysters. Where did I have those? Oh, I went to um, Matsuhisa, and I had oysters there, and those were very good. Forgot to mention yeah, that. Yeah, I know. I'm, yeah, that's, of course. Story yeah, for another fine. time. <laughs> Bye, house. Story Talk to you later. <laughs> Thanks, Juliet. All right, taste buds, hungry homies, we've done it. Another beautiful show. 
I hope it made you hungry. Thanks again to Sean Fancy for coming on. How about hitting us at the Twitter or the Instagram? If there are any episodes, there's obvious episodes that Sean and I missed out on. If you're outraged the way that I'm outraged by the placement of Curb Your Enthusiasm on this list, if you're outraged that we missed some obvious food episodes out there, any shows that we should have included, at the House of Carbs is the Instagram and at House of Carbs on Twitter. We will be back with another show next week, my friends. But until then, let's stay hungry out there. <laughs>